0: Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to come and listen to your word to us today. Father God, I acknowledge my frailty and weakness, Lord. And we know that we carry je- treasure in jars of clay. It's just clay. And Lord, I just pray a cleansing in Jesus' name on me and on us today. Lord, thank you that we, we are in your presence. By grace, we are saved and not by works. And Lord, we thank you for that truth. But Lord, we know you want to speak to us today from your word very specifically at this time. I just pray, Lord God, that you would speak your words and only your words. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Holy Spirit, speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In 1904, in Wales, a young man named Evan Roberts had been praying and seeking God for a number of years he was not a particularly gifted speaker as you would expect maybe of someone like this but God had been working very deeply in his life and now God was also working a mighty revival a turning back to God that's all that word means a coming back to God a renewal of reality in the church He was working a mighty revival through this man Evan and in many people's lives throughout the whole of Wales. Many people from all over Wales would come to hear Evan speak. This is a old picture of one of the, the last gathering they had in nineteen oh four. One evening when a large crowd of people had come to hear Evan speak, he sat on his chair at the time he was ready to come up and speak, and he just sat there and for about an hour He sat there and didn't move. And by that time, the congregation were very, very uncomfortable. The the normal proceedings weren't taking place. The normal message hadn't came. And they weren't sure at all what was happening. Then Evan stood up and said two words. Obey God. Then he sat back down. And then something wonderful happened. God just moved by his Holy Spirit in the lives of the folks in that gathering and there was crying to the, out to the Lord genuine repentance of sins were just moved in an absolute almighty way you see many of the people attending these meetings were already Christians they were already Christians they knew God's word they'd sat under many teachings over the years heard messages many times but this particular message was was very strong to them two words obey God it's as if God's saying you already know what to do now do it and God worked in a mighty way in Wales and the resulting revival spread throughout the entire world. In fact, much of what we know as Pentecostal or Evangelical churches has came out modern day of what happened there in Wales. And could it not be the very central to the reason for this revival were these two words, obey God. You see, an obedient heart is very important to God. God said of King David, I have found David, Son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. That's in Acts 13.22. Now it's important when we're talking about obedience to realise that obedience does not mean perfection. David, like all of us, sinned. But throughout his life, he continued to show a heart of true repentance and true obedience to God. Not perfection, true repentance and true obedience and you remember I'll not go into it but the story of David when it was brought to him his sin even after a few years of hiding in it what did he do he truly repented and he got his heart right with the Lord and God can see that in us he can see true heart of obedience this week we're going to continue to look at the book of Haggai and the series we've been looking at called it's time to rebuild just to remind ourselves of the context, if you've not been here the last few weeks, the year was 520 BC. If you want to look up the book, it's 3rd from the end in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you sing the <a> wee song, what <laughs> your kids have been singing, to find out where it is. Um, Haggai. And just to remind ourselves of the context, it was 520 BC. This was a year of crisis in Jerusalem. The Jews had just returned from exile in Babylon. And they hoped for very joyful times as they returned home. But instead they'd experienced year after year of drought. And the result was a food shortage. And poverty really had hit them hard. And they'd really lost their heart to serve the Lord. They'd lost their heart to serve the Lord. The work of the rebuilding the temple, which was the exact reason they'd come back. It was the command they'd had to come back, rebuild the temple. They'd put that work on hold. And 16 years had went past since they laid the foundation of the temple, and it was far from being completed. In 536 BC, Ezra had brought about 50,000 Jews back to the Holy Land, and they rebuilt the altar for sacrifice. They started the sacrifices again, and in 535, the foundation was laid for the temple. But there was considerable opposition from around, and discouragement, and the work stopped. Haggai was a prophet, and appears to have been well known within this community. Not much is said about him, but one thing's for sure, like all great prophets before him, he had a great passion for God's cause. And Haggai knew that the key thing for his generation depended on the rebuilding of the Lord's temple. The word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai on very specific dates and times. You can see that in the book of Haggai, it tells you the dates and times spaced out. The message was delivered to two particular leaders representing the nation. Zerubbabel, who was the governor of the Jewish community, and Joshua, who was the high priest. And it's very important to note, we've said this in previous weeks, but it's important to note that these prophets were not free to add their own words. This was a direct, inspired message and word from the Lord himself. The first two messages in our series in Haggai followed the trail of Haggai's first two prophecies from the Lord. Part 1 of the series was called Putting God First in Haggai chapter 1, in the sixth month Haggai spoke the first message from the Lord and he rebuked God's people for ignoring their spiritual life while focusing their attention on material things you see they'd stopped working in God's temple but they had built their own houses some of their own houses were not only complete but they were quite luxurious, it calls them paneled houses Now, the sin the people committed was not putting God first. They'd get on with uh, building their own houses while God's house was unfinished. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a nice house or nice things. The point and the rebuke in the, the message there was that we must put God first and his work must take priority. But the good news was a revival then started amongst the people. Praise God for that the people repented of their sins repenting just meaning actually not just saying sorry but doing something about it truly saying sorry turning round and doing the right thing getting forgiveness from the Lord and after 16 years of neglecting God's house they began to put the kingdom of God first you remember the verse seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things shall be added unto you and it's often a verse we think about about priorities isn't it we put God first in his promises he'll look after the rest on the 24th day of the 6th month they started praise the Lord the work started again this is a very important step of obedience by the people then part 2 of our series it uh, was called the glory of the new house Haggai chapter 2 verses 1 to 9 the people had now been working in the temple for about 1 month but then they started to get discouraged and what happened to them then? Well they were looking back, they were looking back the way. They started comparing the new temple to the old one which had been destroyed previously. The new temple just seemed like nothing in comparison. You know, it just didn't it lacked the splendor, the, the majestic splendour in the practical way of the old temple. They were in real danger here of stopping the work all over again. <laughs> so what does God say to them? He says, Does this seem to you like nothing? Does it seem small to you? And then he says to them again, in Zechariah, he says, do not despise these small beginnings. You know, sometimes it's so easy to look on a work that started and think it's small. But this was a real work for the Lord, real obedience, real repentance, so this was not small. It was very significant. It was the work of the Lord. And then the Lord gives him some encouragement. He says, be strong, he repeats that a number of times. Be strong. Why are we to be strong? He says, for I am with you. He says, I have covenanted with you. He's a promising, keeping God. And he also gives a promise of his spirit. He says, my spirit remains among you. We read last week, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Yes, the temple was going to be completed, but it was not because of human strength, not because of human ability and powers, it was by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. And although the people were now moving in obedience and putting their hands to the, the work, it was only God's spirit that was going to accomplish the work. Very important part of the message there. Praise the Lord that his spirit enables the work. And he says, do not fear. Mum was just talking about that with the, the children that aspect of being afraid of maybe the circumstances you were in in the boat there. The command comes, do not fear. So the Israelites were given these great words of encouragement from God. Great promises and great power and provision. And the best was yet to come. Because God said, the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. And we spoke last week, this was not only an encouragement to the Israelite people of that day. It's a forward look to the new heaven and new earth. God's kingdom cannot be shaken. It says there in the same passage, that all things will be shaken, but the kingdom of God will not be shaken. Praise the Lord for that. We look forward to a glorious hope in the future, but only now, in God's kingdom now, but in the future. So, part three. Today's message: obedience leads to blessing. Let's turn to Haggai chapter two, verses ten to nineteen, for today's scripture. On the twenty-fourth day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priest what the law says. If a person carries consecrated meat in the fold of his garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, oil, or other food, does it become consecrated? The priest answered, No. Then Haggai said, If a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, so it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer, there is defiled. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of twenty measures, there were only ten. When anyone came to a wine vat to draw fifty measures, there was only twenty. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, from the twenty fourth day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there any is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on I will bless you. How is our building going? It's time to rebuild. It's time to put God first. We see the glory of the new house. Obedience leads to blessing. I'm just going to read a couple of verses just as we start. Psalm 127 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labour in vain. Unless the Lord watches over a city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. Psalm 23, 6 Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. You see, firstly, this people before the Lord were a defiled people. Did you notice that there? The, the, the term is used a number of times. So it is with this people in this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer is defiled. But what does defiled mean? It means to be unclean. It would have meant a lot more to them than it would immediately to us because of their, their knowledge. To be unclean, to be ritually unclean, ceremonially unclean, impure. The English Standard Version of the Bible says in verse 14, Then Haggai answered and said, So it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. So to be defiled is to be unclean before the Lord. We need to understand the context of this particular passage. God gave Moses rules for bringing different types of offerings and sacrifices to God. The rules were for God's people. Additional rules and all, all the outline is there in the first books in the Bible, in Leviticus particularly. Many of the offerings are voluntary, but the sin offering and the guilt offering are mandatory. They had to be done. Anyone who is guilty of a ritual or a moral offence must, must confess his fault and bring an animal to be sacrificed by the priest. In the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, the believer was able to confess sins and find forgiveness and experience intimate fellowship with God you see it was the sacrificial system the old covenant relationship with the people in the Lord so he asks a question here he says ask the priest what the law says and he goes into something that probably is a little bit difficult for us to understand uh, here today he was explaining to them that God had not yet blessed them because there was still uncleanness in them they hadn't confessed their sins and he uses this analogy um, and what he's really saying is he says you can't give someone your holiness or your health but you can give someone your uncleanness and your sickness you see that? You can't transfer your holiness to someone else but your uncleanness and your filthiness can contaminate um, the things that you touch which includes the work of your hands. And because the people were unclean the work was unclean. Now once the nation would become cleansed God was promising to bless them you know it's not enough to do God's work we must do it with clean hands and a pure heart unconfessed sin in the life of believers today is one of the greatest obstacles to accomplishing God's work the application for the people here in Israel at that time was that they had to start to walk in obedience they had done that already, they'd started to rebuild the temple hadn't they, faith in action they were being challenged to repent of their sins to be clean before the Lord show their obedience in action and for us today it's not enough to just say we're doing the Lord's work is it we must do it with clean hands and a pure heart you know we can be so busy building the kingdom we can forget the king we can be so busy doing good for the Lord that we're not actually obeying the Lord is that not true? I know that that can be true in my own life where we go through the motions of church life, we go through the motions of serving, but we're forgetting the King, and we're forgetting the obedience that we're being asked. Where's it on to that? This is not the right presentation. <laughs> Something wrong, because um, he says, "From this day on." I will bless you. Verse 15. He says, now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid upon another in the temple. So the Lord is asking him as he did in chapter 1. You remember this phrase in chapter 1. Consider your ways or give thought to your ways. He's asking them to examine themselves. Have a look at their lifestyle. Have a look at where their priorities have been. He's saying the same thing again. Consider your ways. You know, for years now, Harvest, which is so important to the life of the people here, had been extremely bad. Extremely bad. The people had been working so hard with their hands, but they'd seen such poor results for their efforts. And maybe that's the key phrase here. Maybe it was their efforts. Because the next thing that the Lord says to them was, Yet you did not return to me. So there's a sense in which He is not crediting their efforts to serving the Lord, is He? He's saying, You didn't return to me when you were working. The Lord of the Harvest, you see, had the power to withhold the harvest, and by doing that, he gave warning that he wasn't pleased with the people's work. But now, the Lord gives this encouraging statement: "From this day on, I will bless you." You know, praise the Lord for new beginnings. <laughs> From this day on, what a promise! What a merciful God. After 16 years of the people being unfaithful, when they show signs of true faith, true repentance and true obedience, God is faithful to send a blessing. Even now this promise would have seemed very difficult to believe. The people have seen no good harvest at all for 16 years. How could this year be any different from the rest? But God was telling the people, because you've obeyed me, I am pleased with you and I will bless you. I will honour those who honour me. Mark this date. The drought ceases, the hail stops. I will bless you. And next year's harvest will be abundant. Could it be today, and I believe it is today, that God is waiting for our response? A response, firstly, of obedience to his word today some matter or thing in our life he's spoken clearly to us about and we haven't dealt with it and I'm speaking this to myself as much as to you believe me today he's asked us to deal with something in our lives remove something take it away change something and we haven't done it or maybe we're already starting to take steps of obedience to the Lord but we're struggling in our faith we just don't believe that the harvest is coming this just seems small how can it be in Scotland in 2010 in Burn, that the Lord of the harvest can bless in a mighty, mighty way? Could it be that God is saying to us today, look for the new beginnings. Look for the new beginnings he has in store for us. And remember again, when we talk about obedience, we do not mean perfection. No one is perfect. If we we can get discouraged by this message if we think it is to do with our ability, and we're going to read more about that later. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. What about the problem of sin? The people here had a problem in Jerusalem. They required cleansing for their sins. And in order to see this more fully, please turn to the next book in, uh, next to Haggai there, Zechariah. You see, there was to be new clothes. There was to be new clothes. Zechariah in the book that follows Haggai in the Old Testament. Zechariah was a prophet, a contemporary of Haggai, speaking God's word to the people at the exact same time. In fact, Zechariah's message, the date is given in Zechariah 1-1, was just one month before the passage we just read in Haggai 2:10 to 19 These were messages at the same time. So we look at Zechariah 3, verses 1-10. to then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen re- Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a man, this is, is it not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin, and I will put rich garments on you. Then I said, Put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. The angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says If you will walk in my ways and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you a place among these standing here. Listen, O high priest Joshua, and your associates seated before you, who are men symbolic of things to come. I am going to bring my servant, the branch. See the stone I have set in front of Joshua. There are seven eyes on it. That one stone. And I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord Almighty. And I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. In that day, each of you will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine and fig tree, declares the Lord Almighty. You see, Joshua, he was the high priest... (laughs) and the high priest represented the entire nation before the Lord the nation's sins have given Satan a basis to accuse the people and these sins are represented by Joshua's filthy clothing the Hebrew word that's used there for filth is one of the strongest words for just filth and dirt that the language would provide And Satan, what's he doing? He's standing right there. And he's accusing the nation. He's accusing Joshua the high priest. Praise the Lord for this next statement. The Lord says, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a man? Is this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? And you see Joshua, just like everyone else in the nation, had sinned before God. But God was showing them mercy. And he now rebukes Satan and his accusations. What amazing mercy. The withholding of his judgment, that's what we're seeing here. Mercy the mercy of God. What amazing grace. We sang that hymn earlier, Amazing Grace. The former slave trader, John Newton, who wrote that hymn. He was saved marvellously by God. And this is what it says on his tombstone. John Newton, clerk, once an infidel and a libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long laboured to destroy. Is that not amazing grace? And what a clear picture we see here in this passage of salvation, of saving grace and mercy. Sin is removed. Did you see that there? It's representing the filthy clothes that were taken off and new garments were given. New clothes. Rich garments, it says. And a clean turban onto his head. And then Joshua is called to now walk in obedience to the Lord and did you also notice in verses 8 to 10 the Lord saying this is symbolic of things to come the vision of Joshua's cleansing foreshadows it's like a shadow of the coming day when the branch will come the branch is a a term that would have been familiar to them for the Messiah the Saviour that was coming who we know is Jesus Jesus and he says the branch will remove the sins of all the people in a single day this is all pointing forward to Jesus it is only by God's mercy and grace that any of us here can receive forgiveness for our sins he is merciful and gracious to us we don't deserve forgiveness but he offers it to us through his son Jesus Jesus praise the lord praise god glory to god in second corinthians 5:17 it says therefore if anyone is in christ he is a new creation the old has gone the new has come you see now we need to remember that the passage we've been reading today is from the old testament And God's marvellous plan of salvation was still being revealed. It was still unfolding. But praise the Lord that the day we live in today, God has revealed his full plan. Do you realise what a privilege it is to be living? This is the day the prophets were waiting for. This is the day all the saints that went before us waited for. Paul said this about the day and the time in which we live now, in Colossians 1.26, he says, The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations is now disclosed to the saints. It's now been revealed. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And I just praise God that we are in this day today. I hope you do too. Because it's true. It's absolutely true. You know, I, I became a Christian when I was seven years old. And even as a child with very little understanding, I believed with all my heart when I reached out with faith and I believed in Jesus as my Saviour. And I meant it and I turned from my sins. He saved me at seven years old. It's not by works, it's by his grace. But you'll know, like I do, in the Christian life as you go on to maturity, God expects you to move on in maturity. And that's where the word comes to us today, about obedience and and walking with the Lord. See, Christ's sacrifice was once for all. In Hebrews 10, if you want to turn to it, that's fine. Um, Hebrews 10 in the New Testament, verses 1 to 18. I'll just read it and let God speak to us today from his word as we close. Christ's sacrifice once for all. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming not the realities themselves. For this reason it can never by the same sacrifice repeated endlessly year after year make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins, because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice, an offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. First he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them. Although the law had required them to be made. Then he said, Here I am, I have come to do your will. He set aside the first to establish the second. And by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, the priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. Because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First he says this is the covenant I will make with them after that time says the Lord I will put their laws in their hearts. I will write them on their minds. Then he adds their sins and their lawless acts I will remember no more. And where where they have been forgiven There is no longer any sacrifice for sin. When Jesus Christ, God's Son, died on the cross, he cried, it is finished. And I believe the Lord is saying to us again today, when I said it was finished, it was finished. Now you need to believe Jesus is God's Son. Repent of your sins and walk in obedience. If you do, God will take away your sins. And you will be clean in his sight. And when God looks in your life, he will see Jesus. He will see his perfect sacrifice. That has once and for all taken away our sins. If we're a true believer who's repented of our sins, we can be sure that our sins have been taken away. He doesn't even remember them anymore. It's hard for us to take that in, isn't it? Because we remember everything. God says He will choose to remember our sins no more. Jesus is our righteousness, our perfect sacrifice. He is our Savior. His blood Sacrifice without the blood the scripture said it's impossible to, you know, for the remission of sins and when his blood was shed there was the power to cleanse from every sin Jesus is the way the truth the life no one can go to the father except through him salvation and cleansing of sins is only made possible because of Jesus rebuild. Obedience leads to blessing. I know here today we're probably, I'm speaking to people who have been Christians, maybe for a number of years now. But you know something? I believe God's got something big for Moody's Burn. And by big, I don't mean numerical necessarily, although it probably will be. But I mean real. Not because of man's ability To do things, but because of God's ability to do things. Joshua stood as a man filthy. He required God to cleanse him. And it's true today for every believer. The the step he's taken is true, and I believe it's very, very key to the revival God is going to work here in Scotland in our day, I believe it's coming is obedience, it's these two words that marked the Welsh revival obey God not try and be better, not try and live a better life not use your own strength to do things not feel sorry but just obey the simple instructions of God and he will supply the power and it's a heart attitude, it's not a case of let's all get discouraged because we can't be perfect, no we can't Jesus is perfect Jesus is our righteousness and if he is living in us he is our hope of glory. He has provided us with a brand new nature a brand new life the Holy Spirit himself living within within us. I'd like just to take a moment of quietness just for us to pray and ask God to reveal to us the areas we need to address maybe something that seems small the steps of obedience we need to take maybe a step of just trusting God for the blessing now a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe there is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus Father God we thank you today for every believer here we thank you Lord God for saving our souls and that, Lord, you save us to live a new life here and now in Christ. And you give us hope of that day to come with a new heaven and new earth. But I pray, Lord God, we just cry out to you for just our own walk with you, you would help us, Lord God, to be obedient in the steps you ask each one of us to take. As a fellowship, Lord, we thank you for what you're doing here and we pray Lord in Jesus name that you would help us to be obedient to your voice and Lord we cry out to you for this town in Moody's Lord so many people who do not know you as saviour who going to a lost eternity Lord I just pray in Jesus name you would help us to be part of the rebuilding process of your church in this place Lord God forgive us for our sins And where there's maybe just a fear, Lord, a fear of maybe doing the things that you've been asked to do, we just pray, Lord, you would take away that fear. You say, do not be afraid. Just pray, Lord, you give that strength to do what's required, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen.